Hello and welcome to Muppet Sational, the Muppet Show podcast, hosted by three huge Muppet fans. Join us each week as we dive into an episode of Jim Henson's classic variety show, now finally available on Disney+. This week, it's Season 1, Episode 16, starring the madcap and mustachioed Avery Schreiber. It's time to get things started on the chronological, explorational, conversational, Muppetsational! Yay! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Muppetsational. I'm Lewis Chandler. I'm Jade Turner. And I'm Emma Chandler. And we are here this week, as we are every week, to discuss another episode of The Muppet Show. Jade, why don't you hit us up with a little production information? Of course. So, this episode was originally broadcast on the 12th of December, 1976. The production code lists it as the 16th episode made, and therefore Disney Plus have included it as episode 16. And it was written by Avery Schreiber's comedy partner, Jack Burns, Mm -hmm. Mark London, Jim Henson, and Jerry Jewell. And it was directed by Peter Harris. Emma, please enlighten us about the uh, <laughs> the life and times As of to Avery Schreiber. Weirdo is. <laughs> As Jade mentioned earlier, Avery was part of a comedy double with Jack Burns, who is a producer writer of The Muppet Show. Um, he's an actor and comedian. And actually he met Jack um, whilst they were both members of the um, improv troupe Second City in Chicago, which is quite interesting. And they performed on a variety of shows, for example, the Ed Sullivan show, the Dean Martin show, all those kind of like TV talk show variety shows. Um, He was in a few sort of sitcoms and a couple of films. And also, he was the uh, spokesman and face of Doritos in the 1970s and 1980s. Woo! What in God's <laughs> name? If there was... God, that would put... I did not like Avery Schreiber. I think I'm just going to say I'm just going to say that right from the off. And I don't like the idea he's tainting delicious Doritos. I don't... Get away from my delicious tangy cheese snack. <laughs> oh, of course he was an improv comedian. Oh, you can smell us a mile off. Actually, I'm proud to no longer be an improv comedian. <laughs> we all did it at university. Well, some of us did. It's the lowest of the arts. <laughs> I think, I mean, personally, I think when improv is done well, it can be pretty spectacular. But I think that it does quite often fall into the same tropes and repeated kind of cliches that make it just very predictable and not particularly engaging if it if it's not done well. It also breeds a lot of this exact type of yes. heterosexual man. Yes. <laughs> which which we need them to die out. <laughs> they, they need to be they must be stopped. <laughs> Oh, well, I don't want to sort of, uh, you know, (laughs) show my opinion for this episode too quickly, but we should should dive on in for the sake of fairness. Although my first note, uh, what does it say here? It says, ugh, I don't like his vibe. (laughs) And that was from just the clip where they cut to Avery Schreiber in the opening titles with the other Muppets. I was kind of intrigued by that cutaway because I feel like with a lot of the other guests that we've had, you have had a really, really strong indication of exactly what they're going to bring to the episode. Mm. But with that one, I actually, I wasn't sure, to be honest. Like I was, I was a bit like, oh, that looks like he's done a song, which I wasn't expecting. And then I, I don't know, like I was, 
maybe you got more of a vibe from it than I did, Lewis, because I, I just found, I was a bit like, I'm not sure what I'm getting myself into at this point. This wasn't what I was necessarily expecting from Avery Schreiber. Mine was, went from an unsure no to a very secure no <laughs> by the end of the episode. <laughs> I don't want to be judgmental. I feel like I'm taking Emma's slot as being the judgmental one. <laughs> Emma, what was your first impression of Avery Schreiber? I don't know. He kind of had like improv, kind of full guy. I don't know. It just, it was like that character's shtick, if you know what I mean. It just seemed quite kind of, it's aged quite a lot, hasn't it? His character just seemed a bit strange. Like you say, kind of, you didn't really know where it was going to go when you saw like the opening shot. Like you didn't get a sense of who he was or like what kind of line he was going to take in terms of like performance do you know what he reminded me of have both of you seen the tina fey amy polar film sisters i've seen bits of it i've never seen it the whole way through fair it's fine it's an easy enough watch but um bobby moynihan plays a character in it where he is basically like a really try hard wannabe comedian and that yeah. is exactly the vibe that i was getting from avery schreiber emma do you know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah i do yeah like the guy who's like it's improv or it's an impression he that guy wasn't yeah. it where he's like yeah. messing around a lot or like trying to do bits to get people to laugh and everyone's a bit like yeah yeah he just felt exhausting to me <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> but you know let's actually jump into the episode because i realize we're talking about one clip um After the opening titles, we go straight to a performance from a band we haven't seen properly perform for a few episodes, Dr. Teeth and Electric Mayhem. Yeah, it was really nice to see them, actually. Although I did kind of think that, again, with the song, they were kind of doing the same thing that they always do, where they come on and... Dr. Teeth was like, yeah, we're going to sing this really tenderly and the song's called Tenderly. And then they start shouting and like animals hitting the drums really hard and it all goes a bit chaotic. And I know like that's their whole kind of thing, which is funny, but I don't know because we haven't had the opening like this for a while. I was a bit like a bit nonplussed about it. I don't know how you guys felt about it. I quite enjoyed it, but I do know what you mean just in terms of it being like is very much in the Electric Mayhem's wheelhouse. I don't think we were sort of testing anything here. Mm. I I found the editing of it really frenetic. Like it was really quickly cutting back and forth between the three setups that we had. So Animal, Dr. Teeth, and then the others at the front. And actually like I, I kept getting distracted because they were all jumping around so much. I don't know if you both noticed, but the set was actually like wobbling a bit because the Muppets were going so mental. And that, <laughs> it, like that was making me laugh because I'm guessing that wasn't, that was sort of a unintended consequence of Janet and Zoot and Floyd going crazy at the front. But yeah, the whole set was actually sort of like, I don't know. It did look looked a little bit shoddy, yeah. but I it was quite fun. Just them yelling tenderly and, <laughs> and sort of going for it. Um, <laughs> I think you're right, Emma. Like some of the openings recently have been really, really strong, and I feel like this was a little bit more middling of an opening. It felt very familiar, didn't it? Mm. It wasn't anything that we haven't seen before. Yeah, I mean, although. Oh. Sorry, no, I was just going to say the whole vibe and his act, it reminded me very much of like the Roof Buzzy Mm -hmm. episode, like their physical comedy playing a bit. And obviously we're we're going to talk about it a bit more when we go into his his sketches. But I sort of had like Harvey Corman vibes as well, although he like reacted a bit better to Sweetums in like that Sir Every of Macho skit. But 
I don't know, it kind of felt like you said, Jade, a bit of a like more of a middling episode than what we've seen previously. Oh, sorry, you mean generally. I thought I thought you were just jumped straight on out of boredom from talking about <laughs> Dr. T and Electric Mayhem. <laughs> so, we're done here, let's move on. <laughs> Emma's trying to get this episode in at a tight 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, I mean, I was saying that I felt like the opening was middling, but I do think this... This yeah, again, not to show our hand too early, but there were certainly ups and downs with this episode on the whole. Mm. That was the phrase I was looking for, show our hand. I have been looking for that <laughs> phrase for like weeks. And, I'm not... <laughs> and every time I try and come to say it, I'm like, show our load? Like, <laughs> like show every time deep... it just comes back to load. So I don't know why. God. <laughs> uh. One thing I will say, I don't know if um, it was just from a factor of having not seen them properly for a couple of weeks. They're such gorgeous puppets, mm, Dr. T and Electric Mayhem. They're so gorgeously finessed and detailed and how each of them operates a little differently. The way Dr. Teeth's hands extend and obviously the puppeteering is covered by his shaggy coat. And I love the way that they get so many dings off his gold tooth yeah. in that proper like 1970s glare on the camera. It's so good and it feels so right for them and so specifically 70s as well because of how it reacts within the camera. I just love those puppets. <laughs> there you go. There's the pull quote. I just love those puppets. <laughs> His eyebrows were going crazy this week as well, I noticed. Like, mm. yeah, just just everything. It was it was it was really nice to see them because we haven't seen them in a couple of weeks. But I do I would like to see them maybe get something a little bit meatier. To get Dr. Teeth's gold tooth stuck in two. Oh you know? good grief. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of bad jokes, let's move on to the backstage Thanks, runner. Lewis. <laughs> Look, it was a link that was right there. I couldn't resist it. (laughs) So uh, I've got to say, I was very happy to see Piggy uh, laying into my nemesis (laughs) scooter. (laughs) Piggy knows what's up. She's just calling him a bonehead. I loved it when she turned to camera and was like, he's an amusing little twit, isn't he? I know. It was so like... It was like we were watching Fleabag. I was like, oh. (laughs) Phoebe while a pig. (laughs) That would be pretty great. A flea bag with Miss Piggy in the lead. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. And she would learn nothing. No. <laughs> there would be no sort of uh, coming to terms with herself. She would just be like, no, all of these people are wrong. <laughs> you call it pig pen instead of flea bag. I would absolutely watch that. There you go, Disney Plus. Have that for free. There's one for you. <laughs> There's one for you. You're welcome. Have the dumpster trunk of money driven up my drive. Thank you. (laughs) I didn't mind this runner. Like, it's definitely not my favourite or anything, but I quite enjoyed that we got to see Piggy in a runner again. I also liked that it crossed crossed over with not only some of the sort of backstage Muppets, like Scooter, but also with the host, that the whole thing was that Piggy was colluding with the host. And then also that it did go on to the onstage Mm. business as well like it, I thought it was actually quite well structured in that regard and it did it did make the episode flow quite nicely that's true I think I just found the entire setup and premise a bit dull if I'm honest I, I, I it just felt like such familiar territory and nothing 
particularly muppety about it or given a muppety twist. And frankly, I feel like Miss Piggy could do better than Avery Schreiber. So... Well, she can. She's just using him, Lewis. Yeah. Like, she doesn't want to be with him. She should be using, the one, using uh, one of the more handsome guests. I'm sorry. Or even just... just. <laughs> he was so, like, sweaty. He had such a, like, Saturday Night Live 1970s cocaine vibe to him. Like... Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm being so aggressively, like... <laughs> indifferent to Avery Shriver. I will try and not let it influence my decision. I'm lying. (laughs) (laughs) Emma, what did you think of the runner? Yeah, I mean, again, a bit like we said, it was okay. It probably wasn't one of the, like, best ones that we've seen. And it did feel like we were kind of going over familiar territory. But, you know, it was quite good to kind of see, like, Piggy getting her own back on Scooter a bit, which was quite fun to see. And her interaction again with Kermit kind of not quite knowing where she stood and, like, being like, right, this is what I'm going to do to sort it out. So, yeah, I thought it it was fun. And, you know, I think it kind of, like, met the level of the episode that we, we saw, I think, to be honest. And, Jade, you are right. From a structural standpoint, purely on a writing side... The way that it was weaved through the episode and in different places Mm. is definitely an, well, not necessarily an improvement, but definitely a development from when sometimes the onstage and offstage action has either felt completely separate or not connected in any sort of uh, through line. So yeah, that part of it, I do appreciate. And it also, you know, wasn't particularly pun heavy or anything either. You know, it was, it was... The jokes were coming from their interactions from with each other, weren't they? Um, I just feel a bit like maybe from this perspective, watching it now, it does feel quite old hat because it's Piggy and Kermit and it's Piggy trying to use another male to make Kermit jealous. And that is obviously something we've seen hundreds of times at this <laughs> it's point. It's like when you go back to watch a TV show that you really love where like for five seasons it's will they, won't they? And you're like, but I know yes. they will. So why is yeah, the, all these exactly. obstacles getting in the way? Just get Ben and Leslie together already. I don't need to have <laughs> <laughs> their jobs threatened by Rob Lowe. <laughs> like just get on with it. Thinking about when this was obviously first shown, Miss Piggy was a brand new character and this was a whole new concept. Like I'm not saying that it probably didn't still feel quite traditional because obviously they were totally using the cliches of books tv shows movies as they have been forever theater um but at the same time like you would not have seen piggy and kermit do this before so i i don't know like i feel like i have to give it a bit of slack just because it wasn't pun based it did weave nicely through the episode and i felt like it did help the episode move along because actually a lot of the sketches were very disparate but I did feel like the episode was kind of cohesive. And I think it's because of the, the backstage business and Piggy and Kermit. Let's move on to one of those uh, disparate <laughs> sketches. I've called it the gladiator sketch. I am not sure what its formal name was. Has anybody looked on Muppet Wiki? <laughs> I think it was just called Sir Avery of Macho. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm tr- I'm trying not to lead... <laughs> lead the uh, the witness for the prosecution <laughs> or whatever they say. <laughs> Emma, wh- why you, what did you think of this sketch? Like I kind of said before, I did have Harvey Corman vibes of when he did his ringmaster bit, but I do think that Avery Shiver did 
play it better like he obviously used his kind of comedy chops a bit more and I thought his interaction with Sweetums was better but to be completely honest it was quite a random sketch and I you know when it first started I was a bit like I don't really know where this is going <laughs> and then when Sweetums came down from the, the the top of the moor as he was the monster of the moor and they were like facing off I was like oh okay <laughs> and then it kind of turned into a, like an insult joke you know War of the Words. It was a reading challenge from yeah. Drag Race. Yeah. It was very it just, bizarre. It was like, oh, okay, so this is where we're going with this. So yeah, it was quite a quite a random kind of square off between the two of them. I mean, I don't know what you guys thought. It's funny you said when it started, I didn't know where this was going because actually seeing that rocky, craggy backdrop and Kermit in reporter mode, I wondered if we were going back to the planet Kuzblain to have another... Uh, alien nature documentary and then actually it was even more strange than that and Kermit felt entirely superfluous I do not know why he was there no I don't understand why Kermit was there either because other than I guess essentially setting up that there was going to be this big showdown he then I think he only made like one or two more comments that were literally just that he was just commenting on what was going on he didn't add anything to the actual story or give you any more context or anything he was just repeating what was already happening he totally did not need to be there. There was no reason for Kermit to be there. They could have even just had a sort of veterinarian's hospital style voiceover sort of announcing, I guess in that sort of, I thought he looked almost like Centurion-like, but like, you know, like in a sort of gladiator Centurion boxing way. Mm. I don't know, it could have been like, Sir Avery of Macho versus the monster of the moor and that would have been enough like a medieval times restaurant you just have it coming over the speaker while somebody's delivering you potatoes oh my god you have immediately made this sketch better right so what you need is you need tables at the front like they did for the joel gray um was that vilkamen i think when yeah so you need tables at the front with like piggy gonzo scooter whoever sat there having a medieval times meal and then this is going on in the background but the muppets because it's really rubbish are paying no attention to it and they do not care (laughs) and and actually then you could play on avery schreiber like mugging to the camera so much because then he could be desperately trying to get everyone's attention and they're just like chowing down on their medieval times banquet that would be so much funnier than what whatever this and was. And it would give a reason for them to shift from maybe being traditional gladiator fighting into then two actors who work at a medieval time style yes. restaurant <laughs> throwing insults at each other. And then Miss Piggy and Kermit and co could get more engaged because they're like, oh, these two actors in this <laughs> restaurant we're at are fighting. And then when one of them breaks down, they could be like, bravo. God, that is already so much better. That would be so funny compared to what this is. The The one thing I did quite enjoy about this was that they seem to be quite bold with the set mm. and with the... It was a lovely set. The staging. We haven't seen anything like that where we had Sweetums starting up the top on the moor and then mm. coming down. It felt expansive for the Muppet show, didn't it? You know, when we're quite often dealing in close up because of the Muppets nature and I did enjoy that they really made the most of the fact that Sweetums is a big Muppet and you can Mm. you can sort of play on that level but then yeah I mean I just also felt like it went on for so long like it just never ended yeah Emma when you mentioned Harvey Corman's circus sketch which obviously opened his episode I have to say if I was given a choice between the two I'd probably much rather watch the Harvey Corman one again yeah Oh, see, I I feel like Avery Schreiber committed more 
I just feel, I mean, Lewis, I realise that you're just, you're clear, you're not, you're not vibing with him, which is totally fine. But like, I feel like he did actually, as you said, Emma, there's something of the Ruth Buzzy in him. Mm. Like, I think he found a kindred spirit in the Muppets. And there was a, there was a commitment there that I think was completely lacking from the Harvey Corman episode. The most we got from him was it him just dressed up in a chicken suit. That was kind of the level of commitment he was at. I did feel like Avery was more on board with it. But I just, even with this, like the fact that the final punchline was calling out Jack Burns and their their comedy duo. And then we sort of mentioned in the Bruce Forsyth episode that there hasn't been that many like pop culture references. But actually finishing with the punch that Sweetums prefers Starsky and Hutch to Jack Burns and Avery Schreiber... That just felt so dated. It did, didn't so, it? so, like, oh my God, like, I, I, I don't know, like, I can't relate to that at all because, like, I just don't care about Starsky and Hutch and I also don't know you as a comedy duo. Like, you know, this is... Very odd, <laughs> oh. yeah. It, yeah, it just, it just, I mean, it's the risk whenever you do a pop culture reference, isn't it, about mm. what is really going to... Uh, you know, last. last the test of time. Exactly. Yeah. You know, for every um, yeah. you know, reference the Simpsons makes to Alfred Hitchcock films, which still feel funny, you've got them making hackneyed jokes about like The Bachelor, and it's and it it's <laughs> a bit, you know, it's uh, it's it's the risk you take. The other thing I noticed, and it was the first time that I have really noticed this, was Sweetums. Let me get the right arm now. <laughs> One of Sweetum's arms stayed down by his side the whole time. Nobody was puppeteering it, basically. What? So he was o- he was only ever moving one arm. Well, would that not be because the puppeteer's other arm would be operating the head? Eyes and the mouth and yeah. yeah. But I think when we've seen him before, I think they've had I think they've had a second puppeteer, obviously somewhere, controlling the other arm. Um but this time Sweetum's arm was firmly by his side. It did not move at all. I, you know, fine, fair enough, but it just felt a little bit like he's meant to be getting in a fight and he's not even using both his arms. Like, that was like, okay, great, <laughs> wonderful. It's like in the, uh, it's, I'm only saying this because Peter and I were watching it last night. It's like when Madonna broke her arm in 2005, <laughs> but she still had to shoot the hung up video. And so they just <laughs> tuck her, they tuck her arm into that leather jacket. So it's like, just strut down the street. It'll be fine. <laughs> Nobody will question that one arm that's not doing anything. And it's, and it's so rigidly set in place. And it's, you, once you notice it, you can't unsee it. Oh, I'll always find a way to bring it back to Madonna. Somehow. <laughs> Did either of you genuinely gasp when the gorilla popped up from behind Emirat? (laughs) Because I gasped, and I don't know why, because so obviously a gorilla was going to come. But I reacted like it was that scene in Twin Peaks where, like, Bob comes over the sofa. I was just... (laughs) Oh my goodness. I wasn't wasn't really like that. The only thing I thought about, and I would... This is probably... Just because it's me, I was a bit worried when he started ripping the computers up, and then you saw like the seventies like of special effects start going off, and I was like, oh my god, he's so close to like being set alight from the like <laughs> dodgy seventies pyro. I was like concerned. Emma, whoever that was, I know was fine. They were probably having a cigarette <laughs> between takes where they only took the head off, and just the rest of the, the gorilla body was just you know ready to light up. I don't know though because sorry this is a real tangent but you just saying that's made me remember the other week I was reading oh the 
I'm so sorry, I'm blanking on the actor's name, but the actor who played Cousin It in the original Adams Family passed away recently. And I was reading in the obituary about how originally the Cousin It, um, all of the hair was like completely flammable <gasps> because they were using natural hair. So, and obviously like all of the cast and crew were like smoking <laughs> as they would have been. Because 1960s. Consistently yeah. between takes. And yeah, they had to change the Cousin It costume to be synthetic so that it could be flame retardant and so i mean i just would not be 100 percent certain that that gorilla costume wouldn't have gone up in a second because you know this Absolutely. is this is the 70s like people just yeah. didn't think about these things they were still very busy putting asbestos in everything you know like it was a different <laughs> time <laughs> so yeah that's it's a good point Emma. i hadn't thought of that i was just oh when i saw the gorilla i was like Oh, here we go. I was like, right, what's what's <laughs> happening? And then when he started wrecking Emrak, I was like, oh, right, wonderful. Uh, that research grant's really going to good use here, I see. Like, <laughs> I think I was just so distracted by Dr. Bunsen taking everything so seriously and talking about the heartbreak of a gorilla invasion. And that, you know, have you ever woken up in the <laughs> night and thought, is there a gorilla in the room? Or whatever it was he was saying. I was just like, what are you on? <laughs> God. It was very bizarre, but I did enjoy it. And I was also just quite impressed that they smashed up that very <laughs> nice looking computer set. I know. I wonder what next time we cut back to Muppet Labs, what kind of rinky-dink operation <laughs> they're going to have behind them. <laughs> because they destroyed it with the man in the gorilla outfit. They're just going to have like a ham radio <laughs> in the corner. And <laughs> one of those balls that has like the uh, static electricity coming <laughs> off of it. I don't think they can afford that, Lewis. That's probably quite expensive. <laughs> uh, I suppose so. Maybe they could just borrow one from the top of the pop set or something. I'm sure they're shooting nearby. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was like... I mean, I way preferred this to the Sir Avery of Macho sketch. Oh, for like, sure. 100% take Dr. Bunsen just making insane creations and believing in them 100%. He was so adamant that that man wasn't in a gorilla suit because otherwise his wonderful creation would have been sounding the alarm. I suppose technically, you know... It wasn't a gorilla. <laughs> it wasn't a gorilla. It's a man in a gorilla outfit. Although then it did alarm itself anyway at the end. So either way, it's completely buggered. Like, it's just... Yeah, there's no way that you can... Uh... Make it work. I don't know why I was surprised at it, but when the gorilla picked up the gorilla head thing, I was surprised to see the wire coming out of the back of it. And then that kind of made me realise how much we're used to not seeing wires in things anymore. <laughs> and like that, I know that sounds so, such a small thing, but I was like, I was like, oh, it's plugged in. Like it's not, it's not running off its, I don't know, like it's not battery powered or whatever. Like it's a mains powered operation here. Do you know what? I hadn't, considered that at all i didn't think about <laughs> no i that. clocked the wire as well jade because when he picked it up to throw it it was like well okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna pull it out of yeah. the socket exactly you're gonna have to pull it out the wall first like... <laughs> that gorilla's gonna throw it and then it's just gonna catch in the middle of the air and then smack back and hit him in the face <laughs> another great ending for the sketch options we are giving so many options we should be in this uh, writer's room for goodness sake <laughs> Screw you, Jack Burns. <laughs> you and your partner can go to hell. 
Last thing, the gorilla alarm looked so much like Donkey Kong's yes. face. And I don't know when yes. Donkey Kong was created, but it was uncanny. Uncanny. I'm going to check. Although, briefly, at first, I did think it looked like a dinosaur. And then when they said gorilla, I was like, oh, yeah, obviously. Uh, Donkey Kong was only released in 1981. So maybe that machine inspired Donkey Kong. Because they were identical, in my opinion. It was so similar. It wasn't even just sort of like, oh, it look, it's like, that's Donkey Kong. <laughs> <sighs> oh, now I just want to play Mario Kart. <laughs> Later, Lewis, later. But I want to play it now. <laughs> no, we have to talk about A.V. Schreiber now. <laughs> well, I don't want to. <laughs> My favourite one was always the Donkey Kong. Do you remember, Emma? It's the one where it's like Donkey Kong has like a jungle, but you l- jump over like a paddle steamer and there's a big cannon that shoots you up to the top of his island and then you drive through. And I feel like there's a volcano bit as well. Oh, yeah. Is this ringing any bells? <laughs> Kind of. <laughs> is this is this because Lewis never let you get a look in, Emma? Well, we didn't actually have the Nintendo sixty four. Um, our cousins had it, so we only played it round theirs. Yeah. Yeah. We should have got a Nintendo. <laughs> we had a PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, we had a PlayStation and four, like four games. One of which, yes, that like was the two same. of which, were ostensibly the same game. One was Crazy Taxi, and the other one was Simpsons Road Rage, which is the same game but just with a different. <laughs> You know, skin over it. Overlay. Yeah. <laughs> overlay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had a Rugrats game, which had a really fantastic crazy golf mini game option on the end of it that I used to like playing. Um, had a Mickey Mouse game that I was terrible at. I don't think I ever got past the first level. Um... <laughs> oh my God, Emma, you used to have a PlayStation Charlie's Angels game. I did, yes. <gasps> what? It was really crap. Oh my god. It was bad. Oh no. It was really boring, unfortunately. You always got to like one level and you just couldn't get past it. And then do you remember when we had like that <laughs> Toy Story one and you got to a certain point again and you could never get past oh, it? It was the buzz. Oh, light. I it think we had that one, one too. We could never get past it was the construction site. Never got past the construction site. That was about the furthest we ever got. Aggravating. Yeah. I yeah, I remember the Toy Story one. I used to get stuck on that too. I was just I've always been terrible at video games though. I'm just I've never put in the time, I don't think. Oh, we also had a racing game and we did have a um, steering wheel for it, but it basically didn't work. So like whatever you were doing on the steering wheel, you were basically going in like the opposite direction or whatever. I just remember, this is what I always say now, if I ever see a car going the wrong way, the voiceover man on the thing just yelling at me going, wrong way, wrong way, (laughs) (laughs) which was what I was doing most of the time. Very good. (laughs) Oh, well. Anyway, back to this lame episode. No, <laughs> There's not really much more to say about the uh, the backstage uh, skit, apart from I do love when Jim Henson does a little Kermit face wobble. Yeah. When he mm. moves his digits to sort of convex or like bulge out his face to react. Yeah. It's just such a lovely little feature of Kermit that, you know, comes from, I guess, puppeteering for a long time to think that just doing that can really add another level of emotion and reaction into what is ostensibly a hand in a sock it's very it's very cool he also did a really lovely sheesh at the end of that little bit in between um muppet labs and the museum sketch as well which exasperated kermit is a great kermit let's talk about the uh museum sketch what did you guys think of this i really enjoyed this like this was probably one of my the better points of the episode to me i liked the fact that it was ostensibly silent 
you know, I liked the fact that we didn't have any dialogue or anything. It was just, it was pure visual, physical comedy. And I thought it was really nice to see Fozzie getting involved in a sketch mm. like this without any punning, without any sad sack, without any, oh, I'm getting kicked off the show or whatever. Like it was just Fozzie participating in a sketch as, I guess, to take it back to the start of the episode, like almost like as a member of an improv group or whatever. And I suppose we also got this at the end when Avery went on stage with Fozzie, but they were just interacting like a comedy duo, yeah. weren't they? Like they were, mm. they played it really nicely, I felt like. And it just, it, I, again, I know it's quite predictable and it <laughs> didn't reinvent the wheel in any way, but it was just quite fun to see them interacting and playing in, in that way. Emma, what did you think? Oh, I agree with you, Jade, actually. I thought it was quite sweet and fuzzy in the frame, like all his little actions and movements were, I thought they were quite good, actually. And then they were, adorable. Mm-hmm. They were so they cute. They were so cute. And when Avery works out what's going on and then he kind of grabs a sandwich to try and start eating it and then he ends up in the frame with him and they have their little fight and then they make up. Rolf comes along and they both freeze and then he like drops his fork or whatever it was and then they both take the food and then kind of freeze again. I thought it was quite cute. It was a cute bit. It was a cute bit, as they say. Cute bit. Cute bit. Cute bit in some of the um, (laughs) episodes we've seen previously. So yeah, I... I agree. I think it was quite a good sketch. I wanted it to be a little bit sharper because the thing that really makes a sketch like that sing, particularly one that has no dialogue and it's all done in the reactions, the timing has to be so on it. And obviously I understand that whoever's puppeteering Fozzie is watching what is happening from a monitor. So there might be a potential delay. And actually nothing that Fozzie did I really had a problem with (laughs) It was just Avery. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I actually, I found Fozzie's timing really, really good because I I watched the episode twice and when I watched it the second time, I made sure that I wasn't taking any notes or anything. I just, I just watched it. And I felt like Fozzie's timing and the way that, I, I'm assuming Frank Oz was puppeteering him for this. Mm. And I thought he did a really good job because like, it almost looked to me like he was playing it so that like Fuzzy was trying to stay still, but then at certain moments was failing to stay still, even when he actually wasn't supposed to be moving. But like that, that was the character that that was Fuzzy who was still not being the great comedian. <laughs> um, but actually the timing I, I felt from Fuzzy's point of view was really fantastic. Like he was stopping as soon as Avery was turning around. The movements were sort of in keeping with how much he would actually be able to move without being caught. Mm. But I think you're right. I think Avery was maybe a little bit sloppy. Yeah, messy. Yeah. Particularly once he got inside the frame, Mm -hmm. he didn't pause at all when Rolf appeared. And that's the point. Like, that's the shtick. And the escalation is meant to be, oh no, now two people are in the frame having to freeze and trying to grab a sandwich. I just felt like he was doing his own... Thing or just yeah wasn't sharp enough not how i not how i wanted it i would have been been like a taskmaster just getting them to do it again do it again <laughs> maybe this was the best maybe they did do it like 10 times already lewis and this was just the best and they were like right no that's fine we all need to go home now <laughs> <laughs> avery has some cocaine to have for dinner <laughs> I need to make it clear that I do not know for sure that Avery Schreiber ever took cocaine. So <laughs> I'm just saying alleged. I'm just saying I would assume. I, I, um, 
I did like that it was Rolf that came in at the end as well, though, because Rolf's so chilled and laid back that having him be the kind of foil at the end there was, I don't know, it added to the sort of adorableness of Fozzie that then it was like Rolf just looking around and just like, what's happened? Where's the sandwich gone? Where's my apple gone? Like, it was perfect Muppet casting from that point of view, I think. <laughs> it was Whereas, you know, Piggy would have been karate chopping the painting, I would imagine, or something. <laughs> she, would have, <laughs> take my she would have punched through the frame and then eaten her <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the goddamn ballroom sketch. <laughs> I, other than the animal boogieing bit, I didn't really enjoy any of these puns. I don't... What What did you both think? Shout out to my favourite uh, chorus girl when asked, do you practice meditation? No, sedation. I was like, that's my girl! <laughs> I was going to say, when I saw that, I thought you'd like that bit. <laughs> any joke about somebody in show business popping pills to uh, deal with the <laughs> trappings of fame. I love <laughs> It's very Valley of the Dolls. Sparkle, Neely, sparkle! I feel like she was responding specifically around how she was dealing with animal, you know, repeatedly still throwing her on the floor every episode. <laughs> She's just like, yes, sedation, that's it. Maybe she should try and mash a couple of those uh, sedatives into whatever animal feeds on. <laughs> what does he eat? Two by fours? Like, metal chains? I assume he eats cymbals. Like, <laughs> the drums Jade, sustain I, him. I know. Jade, I thought you meant as in, like, a cymbal. As in, like, <laughs> like an ampersand or something. Like, yeah. yeah, A plus, an ampersand. I was like, wow, that's very metaphor. I don't even know what kind of... I don't even know what to do with that information. <laughs> No, Lewis, like, a symbol. Sorry, 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 what was that impression of a symbol? I don't know. Do it again. No. (laughs) Roll back the tape. I'll try it. Hold on, let me try. Is that better? Oh, oh, very good. That sounds very much like, um, you know, when you're allowed to use the keyboard in music lessons and you'd put it on the percussion (laughs) option and you'd find that a... <laughs> that see, that's much better. See, Lewis, I, you know, Emma and I did not go to years of uh... <laughs> years of theatrical yes. training. <laughs> I was going to say we're doing our best here. <laughs> we're lucky when Emma can say people's names correctly. So. <laughs> true, true. Her own name, you, other really people's teasing. names, sentences. <laughs> Anyway, that's what I think he eats. I think he eats symbols with a C. (laughs) (laughs) Liza with a Z! (laughs) (laughs) Emma, did you have any highlights at all during this ballroom sketch? Um, not particularly. I think probably the, (laughs) yeah, not particularly. I would probably say, you know, Animal's dance partner was probably the, like, highlight of the, um, the sketch, to be completely honest. Yeah, it was, it was pretty dry this week. Pretty dry. Cutting down the days until this, we never have to visit this place again. The one thing I just want to say quickly is last week, I think it was last week's episode, but anyway, a recent episode where we discussed the ballroom sketch, I remember saying about that new pig that's appeared. And I think she is obviously the replacement for Piggy because it's Richard Hunt puppeteering that pig. So I think that little new female pig Muppet is is the Miss Piggy ballroom replacement because they have finally realised that Miss Piggy deserves better than the ballroom. You say that, but I feel like we're going to go to episode... She'll be back. Yeah, and then suddenly... <laughs> yeah. 
a Richard Hunt voice Miss Piggy is just going to pop out of nowhere. I I take nothing for granted in this first season. You know, we went to Muppet Labs and there was no beaker. Miss Piggy changes her voice within an episode. Uh, and Gonzo disappears for weeks on end. He's probably gone to an artist's retreat. Gonzo is still so mi- like so missed, so missed from these episodes. I did love his little beat at the beginning where he hit into oh what was the name of that gross... it was beautiful day muppet beautiful wasn't it? day monster yeah. Yeah, yeah. monster yeah. but then yeah and then just disappears he must be in an artist's funk <laughs> how did you both feel when lassie suddenly appeared on screen in a in a small frame on a piano for the uk spot because i honestly was was so taken out of the episode. <laughs> I was just like, why has Rolf got a picture of Lassie on his piano? And and then when the song kicked in, May You Always, which I didn't really recognise. I don't know no, if you I didn't know no, I didn't. it. No. All the stuff about like having a special face and loving <laughs> I was like, I kind of get what they're going for, which is just that if Rolf's singing a song, he's singing a song about a dog. But just, I just. Oh. Why is it a real dog? <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. It's so weird. It made. It makes me question everything. <laughs> I'm so confused. Why would it be a, a real life dog? Why is it not another puppet dog? Also, does that canonically mean that Rolf is also gay? Because I think I is Lassie a boy. Oh, good question. Let's check. I feel like he is. I don't want to assume gender. No, Lassie is a female. Ah, sorry, Lewis. I thought we were gonna get Rolf as another uh, <laughs> swipe, another <laughs> Muppet for our uh, <laughs> our uh, queer narrative. <laughs> no, and then when the other puppets came in, why was it two dogs and a cat? Why was it I not know. a third dog? Why? <laughs> also, the cat is called Cat Gut. Which What? I know. Wait, no, as in what? I don't say it again. Like I think you say it Cat Gut. It's C A T G U T. Cat Gut. Oh, like Cat Gut your tongue. Oh, maybe you say it like that. That makes more sense. Cat Gut. Yes. I hadn't even thought of that. I was just I was so disgusted by the idea of well, like guts. The years of improv. <laughs> years of improv. You keep all that stupid stuff filed away in your head. Uh. Yeah, I just I like Rolf got into it. It was it was kind of fine, but it just I mean, definitely a UK spot. I, again, I feel like the audiences in the rest of the world did not miss anything by having. Rolf crooning at Lassie. No, they were they were busy watching uh you know television adverts for Starsky and <laughs> They were busy watching Avery Schreiber Doritos adverts. Yeah. <laughs> I can't part of me wants to kind of YouTube them, but the other part of me really never wants to see Avery Schreiber again. I did watch two because one I the first one I watched, he was dressed in that sort of Centurion gladiator garb again. So then I wondered if that was the character that they were using. But then the next one I watched, he was judging a cheese contest and he wasn't dressed as a gladiator, so that was just a coincidence. Good. Um, and then I was like, right, that's I'm it, I don't need to watch yeah. anymore, it's fine. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> When you find yourself in a YouTube hole and you're like, yeah. why am I watching a ride through of It's a Small World? I don't even enjoy this ride in person. <laughs> now I'm sitting on my sofa watching it. 
How did I get here? <laughs> I watched two Jack Burns and Avery Shriver sketches and was like, yep, I get their entire shtick now. That's fine. That is also done. And I watched two Doritos adverts and I was like, yep, I know who this man is. I do not need to watch anymore. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Although we did then have to get to know him. or Well, actually, we didn't really get to know him at all during the chat segment either because it was entirely being led by the uh, the subplot of The Runner. I did feel like we got a slight insight into his soul because it opened with him stroking Kermit in a very, very peculiar manner. I don't know if either of you noticed that. Yeah. I did. It was upsetting. It was really upsetting. Did not like it. And we've seen some handsy guests on this mm. show. This, this was, was not... Um, Connie this was not cutesy yeah it was not cutesy connie stevens yeah. like it was i don't even know like it looked more like it looked more like a bond villain <laughs> or something like it felt like i did not like it, it felt like the kind of thing that you do to a partner when you're trying to discreetly put your arm around them but in your hand on their back, you're trying to tell them some kind of message about either somebody that's approaching you in the party or trying to tell them to <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> the latter is usually for me, to be fair, where Peter is tapping my back being like, stop talking. <laughs> but the former where I have to prepare Peter to be like, I don't think this person likes me. So just embrace yourself. We found out more about you from this talk spot than we did about Avery. <laughs> yeah. Lewis. It's a gift to turn any conversation about any topic back to myself, but it comes very naturally to me. Congratulations, Jenna Maroney. Uh... <laughs> <sighs> Emma, what any other <laughs> any other thoughts on the any top other thoughts? I mean, I feel like we we kind of we kind of touched on it with the backstage stuff, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, but... like you said, I think it was just it was kind of a, quite a random talk spot I thought and I thought Piggy was quite funny when she came in and then she called Kermit El Todio or whatever it was that was quite funny um <laughs> and then like Kermit falls for it and says right we're going to dinner and we're going to this and we're going to that but then yeah it was it wasn't the best talk spot that we've seen it was also a slightly odd final joke to land on as well at the end where Avery Schreiber is Jewish so he has never touched a pig so he declines a kiss from Piggy and then Piggy punches him in the face. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just... It's just very bizarre. Like, I is, just... is it anti-Semitic? <laughs> like, exactly, that's why I'm like, what? what? I... Well, everybody seems to be consenting to this. I don't, and he makes the first joke about having not touched a pig. But then for the pig to then actively fight back. <laughs> I don't know, you could probably, you know, it'd be a bit of a stretch, but I feel like you could write some kind of, <laughs> I don't know, like diatribe from that. I don't know. <laughs> it was very, very odd. I guess... Quick question. Oh, oh gone. Well, I was just thinking that... We've already talked about several times on the podcast about them playing up Piggy's pigginess. And I feel like, mm. obviously, nowadays, not only would you not make that joke because of it potentially being seen as anti-Semitic, but also because actually Piggy's pigginess is not at the forefront of her character. Yes. All of her other characteristics are. But again, it just feels like they could have... They could have avoided that entirely if they just didn't bring up the fact that she was a pig. She could have asked for a kiss. He could have given her a kiss. 
end on a different pun. I mean, I look. I'm never going to say no to Piggy karate chopping <laughs> someone. It was just a very odd. It it it, it, it just you look. Anytime you start <laughs> making jokes around Jewishness, I don't know. Like you know, because I am not Jewish, <laughs> and because of you know rampant anti-Semitism that still exists in our country, it always just feels a bit like, oh, was there not any other way to get to here without having to like. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, he could have still refused her kiss for any other reason. He could, like, I thought he was actually going to say something like, oh no, Kermit's basically told me to get out because I've been hitting on you. So he could have just refused it on the basis of like, I don't want to make Kermit more angry. And she could have still karate chopped him. She did not need to bring up the fact that he's never eaten pork. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Now it just feels even. Anyway, let's just move on. It's so <laughs> Sam the Eagle was back in his hype man role before. <laughs> oh, but, well, but he's now he even he seems to be losing faith. Yes. in Wayne and Wander at this point. What does he say as the curtain opens? I like, don't muck it up. Or no, he like, went get it right. <laughs> yeah, right, he did. He right. literally just before the curtain opened, he said get it right, and I just thought that was great. That was so funny. He's he's becoming a stage mom. <laughs> he is he's doing, he's doing the choreography at the side of yes. the uh, and in the wings. <laughs> he's on, got he's on, got the on. camcorder like Amy Poehler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you both felt as well, but when some Enchanted Evening started, I was like, we've already seen this with Bert. We don't need to redo this with Wayne and Wanda, for God's sake. Like, <laughs> And again, the he got eaten by someone. <laughs> that at that point feels slightly like force majeure. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like Wayne and Wanda would be eligible to sue. <laughs> because... Other things are just, you know, production mistakes or mistakes they're making. But for a monster to come on stage and eat one half of your double act does feel like you probably could be like, I feel we may be owed some money here <laughs> because you are you are preventing our ability to earn a living. I felt like it was more in line with what we'd said before about, like, it would be nice to see the Muppets actively sabotaging them. And it felt more like that. It felt like Gorgon Heap was like waiting in the wings <laughs> to, to, you know, to purposely misconstrue meat as eat and then be like, I'm having Wayne for dinner tonight. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. It felt, I agree, Lewis, like it wasn't just a tree collapsing or the leaves falling down or the weather getting really bad. Like it was a Muppet actively deciding to walk on stage during their <laughs> set and eat one half of Wayne and Wonder. Like... <laughs> Emma, did you find the reappearance of Gorgon Heap as distressing as you found their presence in the, was it the Sherlock Holmes sketch? The Sherlock sketch? Holmes yeah. sketch. Yeah. Um, I don't know, because obviously I knew who it was. I was like, <laughs> okay, this is where we're going. But I was like, it was still weird, especially right at the end where it kind of, it seemed to take a while for like his feet to go into the mouth. Did, yes. They were like just sat him. there and yeah. Paul like, wonder was like, oh, <laughs> It was really weird. They had to cut to Wanda because it was taking so long. I've got a really great idea for Wayne and Wanda. We should see their PTSD counselling sessions because everything that's happened to them... No, but like I just think that would be... like It would be so amusing to actually watch and sit them process everything that's <laughs> happened to them. Like, 
So I just saw the mark on my little audacity screen just fully go right off Ivan's eye <laughs> from that. That was that was supported by my diaphragm. That noise. <laughs> that was that would have hit the gallery. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just the idea that they both give up on show business, and I don't know. Wayne becomes I don't know just like a <laughs> geography teacher and wander I don't know she should become a seamstress because I'm pretty sure she's the one making her clothes and they are still lovely week after week I can't see any costume designer deciding to attach themselves to Wayne and Wanda <laughs> <laughs> it's not like uh, you know when Jean-Paul Gaultier is like please Madonna wear this it's like <laughs> they'd be like actively grabbing their clothes away from her being like don't you dare <laughs> don't touch this get off that's not for you. It's time for <laughs> Veterinarian's <laughs> Hospital. Yay! Emma, what did you just say? I don't did know. Veterinarian's. Veterinarian's. I know. Right? I think you put a G in there. I know. I don't know. Veterinarian's Hospital. Vegetarian Hospital. Although that would really work because the whole thing was like based on gags around a chicken this week. But um, <laughs> yeah. No chicken fricassee in the Vegetarian Hospital. <laughs> We went into um, Veterinarian's Hospital and we kind of had the like piggy opening gag of her using some sort of medical tool and this week she was plucking out her eyelashes, which was a little bit random. I wasn't sure if she was meant to be plucking her eyebrows rather than her eyelashes. Maybe eyebrows makes a little bit more sense. But it wasn't clear because also piggy doesn't have any eyebrows. No. (laughs) Yeah, it was a bit random. it was Dr. Bob just drinking out of that silver goblet. (laughs) Oh, I know. I can't work out if it's some kind of medical instrument that we're not recognising that they're just using as a glass because it genuinely just looks like a a silver cup and it's so specific. Like he's been given an award and decided to fill it Maybe up with Maybe he gym. has. Maybe he's been given an award. I don't think Dr. Bob is a celebrated physician. <laughs> <laughs> Emma would give him awards. Yeah. I love Dr. Bob. But yeah, I don't know. I did think like this one, it was good. But I don't know about you guys. The gags were a little bit lame this week. Like I, they yeah. weren't they weren't like the calibre of what we've experienced before. And it did feel it felt a little bit laboured, to be completely honest. It just like especially after last week's um one with like Kermit and, you know, yeah. being involved and it was just a really like high quality sketch i just thought it was a little bit below par this week i don't know what you guys thought yeah i'm with you i i was really disappointed by this i felt like the you do sound very let down i I am because i think like (laughs) although although we sometimes moan about the punning and stuff typically veterinarian's hospital hits the mark and even though it is Mm. all about wordplay and misunderstandings and that sort of line of humour it normally does it really really well and this week like I don't know I was I was genuinely disappointed in it I don't know if I even laughed one time other than no I'm not even sure I was gonna say did I even laugh at Piggy plucking out her eyebrows but I was I was confused because she doesn't have eyebrows so I don't think I did like the whole thing about chickens and the whole thing about him being a bird dog and flying south for the winter and his arms being sore and it just felt so predictable and like nothing original or that you kind of didn't see coming the only things that I was like actually this is completely in keeping was when Dr Bob asked for a moment of silence because the joke died in the operating room and then at the end when the chicken called the sketch a turkey i was like yeah you're both dead on like this is terrible get up, get off my screen it does feel a little like the writers knew this was 
bad one. So they would just Mm. chuck in a couple of jokes at its own expense, which, fine. But you know things are getting a little desperate when you have to joke about the sketch being bad. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't up to the usual calibre, for sure. No, it was It was a shame, actually. I did think it was, especially like you say, Lou, the, the calibre of them have definitely improved over the last few episodes and it, it kind of sank a little bit with this one, which was a shame. I just don't understand, especially when you've actually got... Uh, I Well, I know the guest isn't normally involved in Veterinarian's Hospital, but actually when you've got someone like Avery Schreiber, he probably would have been quite well used in something like Veterinarian's Hospital. So, and Considering what we've got coming up for his third appearance, I would have much preferred him to turn up in Veterinarian's Hospital than whatever guff he was doing on that guitar. But we will get there. <laughs> because before that, we have to take a step backwards with Fozzie Bear. <laughs> <laughs> where his relationship with uh, Stalin Waldorf, again, he, I get that it's, that is the shtick, but it he felt a bit pathetic again. And then when Avery stepped on, I wondered if we were just going to get a retread of the Bruce Forsyth, yeah. mm. you know, sucker to him. And to be fair, for the rest of that sketch, I did not mind it. I enjoyed their back and forth. Did anybody else find out what the um, the little moment where they go, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Well, what is that referencing? It's referencing Jack Burns and Avery Schreiber's bit. Right. That's why I sent you the sketch. Yeah, I didn't watch it. <laughs> oh, I can tell. Emma, did you watch it? I started watching it and then I had my password issues and then I was panicking. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, okay, but that's, I would like that's... to know that I made an active choice not to watch it. <laughs> well, because... if, you, if you had watched it, you would have seen that that was very much part of sketches that they did, that, that well, back and forth. because I've seen that exact, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm. yeah, on The Simpsons and I didn't know what that was referencing either and obviously, you know, so I was, I was like, oh, it's that same reference again. I wonder who it's for. So it makes sense that it was actually Avery Schreiber. But I didn't know if they were making a joke at his expense or at an even earlier sort of double act. Well, I mean, it, it, it might be that it came from another comedy duo. Yeah. But the sketch that I sent you to, um, which for I'm the... I'm sorry that I didn't watch it, Jane, okay? <laughs> I didn't even sit down to watch this until 40 minutes before <laughs> recording the episode. I have a very busy day. <laughs> Do you, Lewis? <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, yeah. So, I again, I don't know. Maybe it might be that Burns and Schreiber nicked that from someone else. I'm yeah. sure they probably stole plenty other gags from other people. Um, but, yeah, this... I think this was a direct quotation marks nod to the Burns and Schreiber double act that people were familiar with. Yeah, there was a lot. And because mm. of that, it was hard to engage with because... Well, particularly us who don't bother watching the links that we're sent. We have no idea about what Burns and Schreiber are like as some kind of double act. And so then when you've got a bunch of in-jokes about it, it's like, great, it's a hat on a hat. And I don't like either of the hats. (laughs) I, like, I didn't mind this bit on the whole, although I do agree that I think Fozzie felt a little bit like, I didn't think he felt completely sad sack, but... It did feel a little bit like he he didn't have that confidence that he'd had like at the end of the Bruce Forsyth episode, for instance. Mm. I did think that like the the in jokes and the fact that it finished with like the sea jack, like and everything, it felt very 
kind of insidery in a way that the Muppets never or like certainly up to this point hasn't felt like and also even when they do the winks to camera it's normally something that you know the audience is definitely going to be in on this almost felt like yeah like a bit meta or a bit like indulgent yeah like it was it was strange i don't like them in the occasional time where you know jim henson himself might pop up like washing dishes in the a muppet family christmas or something that feels fine to me but to have your characters referencing a writer on the show mm-hmm. then takes it i'm i'm being taken out of it too much and i don't like it i don't like thinking about the writers of the muppets i want to think about the muppets because they're people <laughs> they are real <laughs> and i don't it's not that i don't dislike meta humor you know uh, but I just don't like it for them. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's kind of a bit like you say, it's like nice when you have like the little Easter eggs and things and it's kind of like a nod to something. But yeah, like you you both said, it did feel kind of a little bit overindulgent and the fact that it got mentioned a couple of times mm. as well, it was a bit like, mm, didn't add anything to the sketch or, or, or anything. I mean, I didn't think it did. No, and, and to be honest, if they did really want to like harp on about Jack Burns that much, he could have come on at the end of this sketch or something. Like there could yeah. have been... Also, I don't know how famous they would have been in the UK at that time. Like, yeah, they went on like Ed Sullivan and whatever, but, you know, how much of that was actually shown mm. in the UK or or even around around the world? So these like insidery jokes about jack burns throughout the episode like and you don't even see him you know how many people would have even known that he was the head writer on the muppet show i mean that's still like today i'm sure as heck not staying to watch the credits so (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a very good point actually jake because obviously you know we can do a google or wikipedia you know and find out about this information but also i'm now thinking do we wonder if it was almost being used as a bit of a showcase in the uk for avery because would people have actually have known who he was over here? Yeah, and because also the Kermit's introduction of him at the start was like, he's trying to go it alone. Yeah. <laughs> it was really like, it was, you know, he wasn't burying the lead, was it? Like, it was, no. it was very much sort of like, he's hoping this is going to be a winner. Like, Do you know, it almost felt a bit like Jack Burns was like, okay, so I've broken up the comedy duo. I probably owe him something. Let's chuck him him on a show. Half an hour with the puppets. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I suppose it's the equivalent of who the hell in America was going to know who Bruce Forsyth was. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, exactly. Who the hell is going to know who Bruce Forsyth is? So maybe it's kind of like one for them, one for us. (laughs) Yeah. No, that uh, Bruce is a fair shout. He did have some sort of pop culture references and a bit of meta humor and everything, but it was all stuff that people would have understood both sides of the Atlantic. Whereas, and I I just don't know. (laughs) One, I don't know if anyone cares about Jack Burns in Britain anyway, but also, like, did they even know he was head writer? Like, (laughs) did anyone know he was head writer? Because. We'll, we'll, We'll never know, I guess. Slash, we're not going to look it up. So. And I've got to say, if this is meant to be the showcase for Avery Schreiber to jump out into a solo comedy slash music career, this closing sketch with him just hoobity boobadin on the guitar while some colourful uh, Muppet creatures sort of surrounded him, who reminded me a lot 
of the hoobs. A little bit. It was, well, it was the Kuzbanian pups and the male Kuzbane. Uh, yeah, I recognised the Kuzbane babies because they're adorable. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them were apparently called Fazoobs. Which I've never heard of no. before. That sounds like me ripping off the hoobs with something that I'm doing like yeah, a, a straight bit. to video kind of. They're called the Fazoobs. <laughs> <laughs> and then the blue bird, his name is Mel. Mm. And which I'm pretty, well, I mean, I recognise him. I don't know whether we've seen him before in the series so far or whether it's just that he's a Muppet who's still bumbling around somewhere. Um, I just want to say, Lewis, very quickly, you missed the Muppet newsflash. Well, there wasn't a newsflash, as in... No, no news no, tonight. No news tonight. <laughs> and I barely look. I hated it because I barely got to look at my gorgeous man's big old nose. I knew you were going to complain <laughs> about that. I knew you were going to moan. <laughs> What's the point? And honestly, Avery clearly can't do accents, so that's another strike against him for going out solo. Yeah, I was going to say there was no accent <laughs> showcase, was there? <laughs> He saw that Peter Ustinov episode and was like, no, I just can't. Like, I can't live up to this. <laughs> I'm oh, gone. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know about you guys. I mean, it felt, you know, obviously the, the last episode we watched with Candice and obviously she had a like closing song and she wasn't particularly happy as we discussed in it. It didn't seem she yes. was really enjoying herself. And then again this week, like, I wasn't we have another song ending the show and... He's not actually singing. He's kind of like scatting. He's like ragtag Muppets in the background. Like, I don't know if it's more because it's meant to be a bit of a more of a skit kind of song and, you know, him trying to show his personality and and everything else. But I don't, I didn't really get it. But what's the skit? What's funny or entertaining about this? Like, I've seen live scat singing in a jazz bar and that's interesting. This was just Stupid! I hate... I literally wrote, The Hoobs, I hate this, he seems exhausted. I thought this was really cute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, for God's sake. I just, like, honestly, like, I did not like him in his, like, gladiator centurion mode. I did not particularly, like, you know, there were other sketches, like Veterinarian's Hospital, that I found really disappointing this Mm. week. But this was just him, a song that he made up, which is literally called Make a Song, Surrounded by some like alien type Muppets who are joining in and singing it. Like it was cute. It was fine. It was, it was fun. It screamed filler. It screamed filler. It's, but I'd I, rather, I would, I'm sorry. I know I'm being really down on this. Episode. I would honestly rather have filler that's like that than some of the sketches that just. Oh, I'm glad we didn't get another sketch. Well, exactly. Jane. I'd like to exactly. make it clear. I'm glad we didn't get another sketch, <laughs> but I would have rather have looked at a sc- an empty screen for two minutes. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> a test card. Like, the, like you know, just have a thing that says, The Muppet Show will be right back. <laughs> and then just silence. And then like a little fun cartoon of like, Aww. Kermit, like uh, his hands up on his head, looking around at all these plugs and switches and, you know, realising that something's not connected. Like that would have been genuinely more interesting. Lewis, I think you've just lost your patience with him by this point. Because I, like, I think, definitely not my favourite thing or anything, but if he's going to sing a song, he's obviously not probably got a particularly great voice or whatever. They didn't try to make him do something like Emma, exactly like you said, like they did with Candice Bergen. At least he obviously did something he was comfortable with. And it was fine. It brought a smile to my face for the for the end of the episode. Like I was like, yep, he's done his song. Fine. Well, I was sm- I was smiling because it, I knew we were near the end. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know if there's any more to cover about the goodbyes. I don't know if you had any strong feelings about it. 
how this ended or if we could just move straight on to our <laughs> rankings. I thought it was quite funny, the Startner and Wardorf button on the end where they said that... <laughs> Um, no, I did like, see this. I did see you've this. Got to, you've got to give them credit. And they were like, why? Because they're going to keep doing it until they get it right. It's <laughs> like, that's just yeah. like... <laughs> well, again, very on the nose. Very on the nose for this episode. Oh, yeah. I think it might be time for us to do some rankings. Uh, but first, we need to decide on our most valued Muppet performer, otherwise known as our MVMP, Emma. When you start us off. Well, this week, I think my most valued Muppet performer is going to be Fozzie for the art museum sketch. I just thought he was, like we kind of discussed when we were talking about it earlier, he was really on point. He was really funny. His reactions were really great. And he just played it really, really well. And I think he outplayed Avery. And I just think it was really nice to see him doing something a bit different and not kind of the same old fuzzy bit that he does. And for that, he kind of stood out for me, you know, in amongst kind of the different sketches and songs that we had in this particular show. So, yeah, I think this week my MVMP is going to be Fozzie Bear. How about you, Jade? I found this quite difficult because I don't actually feel like there was a particular Muppet who really stood out to me as the most valued Muppet performer Mm. in this episode. They all had a fairly decent sort of stretch of screen time each, but I don't necessarily know if there was one who jumped out at me. But on reflection, Emma, I've gone with Fozzie as well, and primarily for the exact same reason as you, because of the art museum sketch. I just really enjoyed seeing him do something different, and I think you've put it perfectly in terms of, like, he outplayed Avery. Even in that final sketch between them, he was able to bring a really solid counterpoint as part of a comedy duo, and and I just think he... Yeah, it was it was nice to see him actually land some jokes, get get some get mm. some good physical visual comedy in, and not necessarily rely solely on puns the whole time. Um, but I, I don't know. I was really struggling to actually find someone who I felt like deserved my MVMP award for this episode. Lewis, how about you? I had the exact same feeling, so I'm basically just gonna say Doctor Teeth. Because I liked seeing him again and I liked how his gold tooth was so shiny. <laughs> there you go. That's, <laughs> there we are. There we That's are. It. So Emma, where are you going to go for your rating for this week? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's quite a difficult one this week because uh, I do feel like we've kind of gone back a little bit and it is a bit of a more of a like mm-hmm. middling episode. So I think... For this particular one, I'm going to give it five out of ten Sir Avery of Machos. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I just think it's a bit of a a mishmash of like songs and sketches. Some bits are really good. Some bits are really bad. And I was let down by Bob. Oh, no. (laughs) Bob Dob? I was let down. Emma, that is... I don't know what's going on today. I feel like we need to get you into an MRI scan at this point. Like, this is some real... (laughs) I know. (laughs) No, I just... I don't know why I can't speak today. It's not going very well. Sorry, guys. As I was saying, yeah, I was kind of let down by Dr. Bob in Veterinarian's Hospital... And I just feel like some of the sketches were not good. Like, (laughs) you know, we don't particularly enjoy At The Dance and like the whole kind of 
banana in my ear with the whole like Jack Burns in joke was just not good. So yeah, this week it's going to be a five Jade, I'm afraid. Um, how about you, Lou? Uh, I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to mark it the same as you or lower, basically. And <laughs> I think I'm going to go for five alarming gorillas slash gorilla alarms out of 10. <laughs> so the literal gorilla alarm and also the gorilla that scared me climbing over Emirac. There was just so much here that I didn't enjoy <laughs> for various reasons. It felt such a mess. Although there was like a nice through line, I didn't enjoy the through line anyway. Sketches weren't working for me. I didn't particularly respond to the guest there were a few moments but a lot of it i was just like alarmed by his mustache or like his just (laughs) his just his just his energy (laughs) i just didn't like his energy and his style of humor just doesn't work for me so i think i was always going to be a bit of a loss with this episode so yeah i i I have nothing more to add in my criticism that i haven't already made abundantly clear over the last (laughs) hour so (laughs) i'll I'll just move it on for the sake of uh, levity and brevity (laughs) jade what are you giving it i think i did enjoy it ever so slightly more than you two although as a whole it's definitely not up there with my favorite episodes at all so i think i'm gonna go with five and a half heartbreaking gorilla invasions out of 10 (laughs) because i i think there's some episodes that i've definitely enjoyed less than this and there were certainly moments in it that i did enjoy i have to give props to the runner because i do think it did a very good job of making what was actually quite a scattered episode have a sense of cohesion and it's also just nice to see piggy because if she hadn't have had the runner she wouldn't have been in this episode at all so you know, it's just nice that she's she's getting that screen time. I think all the stuff around, you know, the Bern Schreiber comedy duo and actually a lot of the sketches didn't necessarily work as well as we maybe would have liked them to. Um, and I'm, I suppose in a way, a lot of the issues that we have with the Jack Burns style of writing are going to be exacerbated in this episode because it's his comedy partner who's in it. Mm. So... I would. I did not go into the episode with high hopes anyway, but actually I think we can all say that it was exactly as kind of middling and as, <laughs> as sort of disappointing as we had maybe expected it to be. Mm. Fair point. Jade, why don't you wrap us up with a little Muppet philosophy for this week? So rather than do philosophy this week, I <gasps> thought having Avery Schreiber on the episode was a good opportunity to read a little bit from Jim Henson, the biography by Brian J. Jones about the writers of the show and specifically about Jack Burns. Um, you know, we're we're coming into the latter half of this season. Jack Burns is only the head writer for the first season. And we've touched on that, but I thought it might be interesting to dive into that a little bit deeper. And also because as we've been saying and joking about Jack Burns, I don't think is particularly well known today massively um and also get that sense of how the Muppets performers and Jim Henson and everyone felt about Jack Burns and also some of the reasons why he didn't work on the show beyond the first season so I'm just going to read I will read from the book (laughs) so (laughs) the good book the good book the good book 
The Muppet writers each had different strengths and writing styles that would shape both the show and the characters, sometimes through trial and error, as the show progressed from year to year. Writer Don Hinckley had a knack for puns and verbal wordplay, and was, in the minds of many, the funniest guy in the room, while quick-writing Mark London, a veteran of laughing, was a workhorse who wrote straight-ahead comedy routines like the soap opera spoof Veterinarian's Hospital. Head writer Jack Burns understood how to put together a show, though he tended to think of episodes as a series of roughly strung-together vignettes with no underlying story gluing the episode together. Instead, regular routines like Veterinarian's Hospital or At the Dance, in which couples waltzed past the camera and told jokes, were mostly just pushed together, giving the shows a rhythm but no cohesion. That would change in the second season, with the removal of Burns and the promotion of Jerry Jewell to head writer. Jewell's first order of business, we phased out the ballroom dancing thing, said Jewell. (laughs) Partly because everybody hated to write for it, and everybody hated to perform it. It was boring kind of writing. Pointless one-liners, no character, and no motivation of any kind. For Jewel, the former Muppet performer, it was character and motivation that mattered more than puns or vaudeville-style jokes. A predilection Jim and the puppeteers appreciated. And then a little bit later on in the book, it goes on to talk about the reaction and the, the sort of critical appraisal, as well as then talking more about Jim Henson and Jack Burns' relationship. Local reviewers were enthusiastic. If you have a child or ever were one, wrote the Chicago Tribune, you ought to watch. While the Louisville Times raved simply, long live the Muppets. But though it was widely watched, the show wasn't an immediate hit. More typical was the review in Variety, which liked the first episode, but found the humour rather ho-hum, astutely noting that the material bore more of the head writer Jack Burns touch than the wry, whimsical Henson type of humour fans are more familiar with. Jim wasn't concerned. We are well on our way to a smashing success, Jack Burns had written to Jim in a private memo at the end of July, and Jim was inclined to agree, though he didn't always agree with everything Burns wanted to do with the show. Jim had scuttled a suggestion from Burns that the writers play up catchphrases and specific quirks to help viewers more quickly differentiate between characters, that was trying too hard in Jim's opinion, and would ignore Burns' objections to refilming the show's opening credits. While Jim and Burns respected each other, friction between the two was increasing. Besides serving as head writer, the strong-willed Burns was also serving as producer during the first season, and that, said Laser, was hard for Jim. Jim needs to be in the role. Burns would eventually be fired by Bernie Brillstein after Jim complained tactfully to the agent that Burns gives me a stomachache. But it was never personal, said Frank Oz, and Jim would continue to collaborate with Burns on other projects over the next decade. Well, good riddance to Jack Burns and to his damn (laughs) partner Avery Schreiber. That's all I have to say on the matter. Thank you so much for listening to Muppet Sational. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review as it really helps spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us on social media. We are at Muppet Sational on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. You can contact us at hiho at muppetspodcast.com and you can find out more about us and the podcast at muppetspodcast.com. Calm. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. If you like Avery Schreiber, don't at me. I won't care. I've been Lewis Chandler. <laughs> Please send all complaints to Lewis. <laughs> I've been Jay Turner. <laughs> and I've been Emma Chandler. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week on another episode of Muppet Sational. Bye.
Our theme music is Pepe Pepe by Kevin McLeod, and our artwork is designed by Charlotte Rudge, who you can follow at at Charlie underscore R underscore Rudge on Instagram. <laughs>